Welcome to the MFA Made for Agriculture podcast. Here are your hosts, Adam Jones and Cameron Horine. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Made for Agriculture podcast. My name is Adam Jones. And I'm Cameron Horine. And uh, we're back into, hopefully not beating to death the shortage game today, Cameron, but we're back into talking about... I think we missed something the last time. If um, For folks who maybe have listened, or if you haven't, we'd certainly encourage you to go back and listen to. Um, I had a great interview with uh, Jordan Tomlinson, our Director of Crop Protection here at MFA, and, and he did an excellent job of going over um, some of the logistics, the supply chain concerns of our crop protection products and kind of how that affects um, just general overall availability throughout 2022. Right. Um, what we didn't have time to get into that day was how we continue to manage through those shortages and and move forward regardless of of what we can get essentially um, and so we've got a couple great guests today that i think can walk us through that process um, extremely well and so you guys want to introduce yourselves um, you've both been on the podcast before but you want to kind of reintroduce yourselves yeah doug spawnhorst uh, director of agronomy uh, just kind of oversee the crop track nutrient track programs and uh, also work with our uh, in-house research program. Yeah, I'm Jason Worthington, Director of Account Management, uh, head up our sales efforts here at MFA. Great, great. Well, we appreciate both of you guys taking time to, to join us this morning, but kind of before we get into this, um, again, you know, the shortages make a great, uh, great topic, a great headline. But, you know, both of you have a strong agronomy background, a strong weed background. So can you guys in whatever order you want to just kind of to dive into um, what we're trying to do from a crop protection side and then we'll kind of get into the specifics. Yeah and I, I think it's great that we're continuing this conversation Adam here it's and I, I did listen to your your uh, podcast with Jordan and he did an awesome job outlining why we're in the situation we're in yeah. you know some of those those dynamics that put us there but in the end is that what's really going to help our customers that we serve right. Yeah they're coming to us for solutions right so this is where i think what doug and his team that includes you cameron adam um what they do and help them figure out alternatives and solutions and best agronomics is so critical and then us as advisors whether that be the agronomy team or the sales team uh, as account managers understanding what that account needs what their goals are and despite any of those challenges we're facing, help them reach those goals. Because, you know, in the end, I don't know that anybody's ultimate goal is to buy as much glyphosate as they want, right? right? Their ultimate goal is to have a clean field or make applications smoother or spread their risk out, spread Mm -hmm. their timings out, help manage workloads, things like that. Yeah, Yeah, no, I completely agree with you, Jason, on that. I think... um, Ultimately, what the grower wants is clean fields. They want to manage their their weed seed bank. They want to maintain their yield levels of what they had in the past and obviously continue to grow that. And so thinking about our crop protection options, you know, as Jordan mentioned in the past and we're all aware or well of is, is you know, we may not have as much life safe to go around as what we've had in the past or, or Liberty. And maybe just the cost of those products have kind of made folks kind of second guess that. And so I think my message really hasn't changed a whole lot from probably years past or doesn't 
you know, we need to think about soil residual products and, and keeping yep. those weeds from emerging in the first place is kind of our foundation. And I think this year it's going to be critically important to still have that philosophy and that mindset yep. going into it. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Cam. I think, I think Jason made a great point, too, is is the logistics of the applications as well, is making sure we're making a plan and advising guys is, Hey, we don't. If we don't have glyphosate, let's get together a plan of products that we do know we do have that are soil residual, soil pre's to help us set up. So that logistic wise, you're not going to spray a field and then you got to go clean out because you got to switch a completely different product and you're going to have an issue. And so just trying to make logistics of that aspect yeah. and making it easier on, you know, as <laughs> us as being a custom applicator, but also producers if they have their own rigs, trying to make lives easier from that aspect. You read my mind, Cameron, because, uh, I mean, and, and Doug's right on, on on some of the agronomics. What's the most um, effective herbicide that we have access to that will get us the same job done as what are some of the shortage? I mean, yeah, you have to start with there because if you don't have an effective herbicide, it's not going to work. But then some of, the, some of the pain points that come with these supply issues is just what you're talking about, Cameron. We talk so much about the supply logistics. And that's what Jordan and his crew are doing a phenomenal job. By the way, let's let's not say we're not getting any of these short products because yep. Jordan and his team are doing an awesome, awesome job yep. putting MFA in probably a better position than anybody else out there to have product. Yep. Does that mean we have all we could ever want? No. no, it probably doesn't. I think we rarely have all we ever it, want. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Or it's too much, right? Yeah, it's feast or famine type of deal. But they're putting us in a great position there. But he's doing all that work on the logistics behind the scene, and sometimes that's what we talk about so much to try to say, oh, well, here's why. Justify why we can't get what we want. Instead of looking at the logistics, which you just mentioned, Cameron, at the applicator level. So a guy who's used to spraying glyphosate, he knows what it's compatible with and the mix order and what that means for clean out or ease of clean out some of those pain points is something as advisors even for that guy that's got his own sprayer or our own sprayers we that's where we can present some real value and help guys work through that talk about not just the the weed control plan but the 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 preparation plan for that I think this is a good reset for folks. Um, You know, we all get in a rut sometimes. We're like, uh, I spray, you know, whatever product on my corn every single year. I've done it for the last five years. It's always worked. And I remember one time we had uh, Dr. Weirich on the podcast, and he said, "If if you're doing something and it works, you need to change. And I remember him saying that because it, like, that is opposite of what makes sense from a um, human nature perspective, right? We, we were like, well, with this worked last year, we're gonna continue to just use it and use it and use it. And that's kind of what's got us in this situation of a lot of resistant weed species. And so I think the, you know, the, the supply chain issues can find that advisor and say, hey, hit the reset button and tell me, you know, what, you know, reevaluate your kind of your dollars per acre that you're putting out there reevaluate what your goals are it's a good time to kind of reset and look at hey what are my driver weeds in my system here's my system help me out you know like let's walk through this again and just wipe off what maybe i've used we get very tied i guess in the ag community it seems like we get very tied to brand names or 
whatever we you know yeah. what we sprayed in the past yeah. i've always used you know whatever product yeah i agree with that adam you know i my wife went to the grocery store the other day and um she told me about all these substitutions that she had and i really wasn't happy with some of the substitutions but you know what <laughs> i i either had to make a choice i had to live with this substitution this other quality of meat or hamburger if you will or this other product or go without and so I had to learn how to incorporate that into my into our system. Yeah. Not only has that, you know, thought process gone into it, but now I've had to kind of think ahead of, wow, if I want this product, if I need it, I need to start thinking about it maybe a month in advance. Right. And and if I if that's what I specifically want, and then I, each time I'm at the store, I need to look for that because it's hopefully one out of the four times that I'm there in that month, I'm gonna find yeah. it and be able to snag it so i have it yeah well and i bet i bet your meal still tasted well or at least you told your wife that yeah I, I absolutely so. <laughs> they were tasty and i did not complain one bit <laughs> yeah no and that's yeah it you're it's a great point like i said it's just that's human nature you know we we you know we find something that works and and the the safest option is always to the you know the most risk averse option is to to try to stick with it or at least in our and mind that's what that's i'm what, comfortable with yeah too. exactly yeah that's that's kind of what i'm comfortable with as far as managing through kind of recent years here what are what are kind of some themes that have jumped off the plate at you for kind of what we've been trying to push versus kind of what maybe has <coughs> actually happened out there and then um we'll kind of walk through those issues and then start moving forward well i i don't know if this is exactly to answer your question, Adam, but this is kind of what jumps to my mind is it kind of bounced off my substitution example. Um, we've got a lot of different glyphosate formulations out there and there's somewhat of confusion, I think, with that along the countryside. You know, you have pounds of acid equivalent and you got pounds of active ingredient. Which one do I compare to? Can I compare across active ingredient and acid equivalent? No, you can't. And so how do you how do you manage that? You know, the same quart of Buccaneer Plus is different than a quart of Power Max 3, just based on the concentration you have. Right. So I think is one thing that's important is to communicate that that expectation of this is how many ounces of Power Max, fluid ounces of Power Max 3 that you need, and this is how many fluid ounces of Buccaneer Plus you need to achieve that same level of weed control. So it's kind of getting to that point of, well, how much glyphosate and how many fluid ounces do I need with this product? Yeah, especially when you get into things that are um, off patent like glyphosate and have um, have generics out there. I, I think you're going to see a lot of different brand names this year, trade name, like just just a lot of different formulations maybe than what have been on the market because of folks like Jordan doing their best to try to get mm -hmm. actual product here physically on the shelf and make sure it's available to us. Sometimes that's not always going to be the same brand that we've always had. And so I think it's a great point to um, dive into that label and figure out what's actually in that product and at what rate is in that product. Right. Because if you look at the, you know, at the face value of AgSaver 5.4, this is a this is a formulation that I believe Jordan's been able to fortunately get get a supply of. You know, that's got the same amount of pounds active ingredient as our Buccaneer 5 extra. So that 5 and 5.4 can be somewhat misleading unless you go into that label and and, uh, and digest it a little bit. Right. Right. Well, and I think some some of those, that's, 
that goes back to one of the comments I think that Cameron made and we discussed a little bit right there. A lot of the times we get so focused on all the details and, and things of that, like, yes, the rates change, and we have to know that. That's where if we can take that information as a company and simplify it and saying, you can expect similar results, even though this has changed, the rate may have to go up because it's less concentrated, or you have to may have to put less in there, or your mix order has to change, or be cautious of mixing these things. All these other details, um, if we can do that ahead of time and simplify things for guys, and that's where when we talk about putting the value on ourselves rather than our products, that's some really good examples of that. Mm -hmm. um, and we have to, fo and we have to do that because we have to focus on what we have to go back to those goals that we talked about. Yeah. Right. Right. No, you're, that's a great point, and, and that's, you know, it, just, again, sitting down and, and going, you know, rather than just stewing about it or running around and trying to buy glyphosate at the, you know, from anybody that'll sell it to you at whatever price per gallon, stop and and just find a trusted advisor, sit down and make a plan. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and again, walk through that, because, I mean, really with, with glyphosate, I mean, what are we actually trying to get, right? What, what are we doing? out there with glyphosate a lot of times i mean correct me if i'm wrong control grass control right it's supposed yeah. to emergent grass control and some of our large seeded broadleaves that we still control really well right right um so i mean i think there are ways to achieve that you know possibly not using it or just a reevaluation. it's always been in, you know yep. in the last <clears throat> five ten years or whatever it's always been uh there's three yep. pieces of foxtail in the middle of the field so let's throw glyphosate so, in there so and i, I I think that's a good point, but I think we get sometimes we get so hung up on the weed control effectiveness, and this is this is a mistake I've made on the farm when I was selling, and I've seen others make. That we believe that the only value in a crop protection program that again putting the value on ourselves that we can mm -hmm. bring is that clean field, and yes, we have to start there. I already said that. No denying, yeah. you have to start there. You have to be able to deliver an effective program, but you know what? I've insulted some producers before going out there thinking that I knew as much as or more than they did about what mix they should have. Some of these guys are sharp. They know what products will control things. But what, what is the hang-up on not having the product that they want? Sometimes it's not control because they know they got other options, yeah. but it's the ease of use. That's right. Or... or Maybe they have hired hands. Well, I got to retrain my higher hands now. Right. So that's one thing I think. If we talk about managing through shortages, and that's what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. As that trusted advisor, we can't go out there assuming that we know what the biggest pain point is. Yeah. And and some of those guys say, "Yeah, I know I can control grasses in another way, but it throws off what I've had to do." Yep. In, yeah. in years before, and and the routine that I'm in. You got to help figure out what parts of those routines they can you can help them adapt to right. on that too. Yeah, and that's a good starting point for for sitting down and trying to make that crop protection plan is just um, both sides asking each other lots of questions kind of before Absolutely. you start about it's like well you know if if this is what you've used in the past why it probably wasn't because they walked in and that was what was sitting on the shelf it's yeah. they've tried other things and either you know. 
and eventually ended up on what they always used. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and and if you have to substitute something, say okay, we could substitute this. Don't just stop there and say okay, this will work. You're just telling them that we could substitute this. I would ask that producer right then and there. What is that going to mean for you? What yeah. will we have to change because of that? Right. Or if you've already even uncovered that, and maybe he hasn't seen it yet, elaborate a little bit. Yeah. Tell them what it means and, and help them work through it. And maybe it's not the right option. If, it, if it's not, reset, look for that next alternative. you got to think about maximum options and right. when you're facing these issues. Yeah. And, and I think incorporating as much real-time information as you can possibly have, right? So we can sit yep. down and make a plan through the year, but in April when we're ready to go spray, we still need to be out there double checking that what weeds we planned right. for are actually there or not there, or maybe we have some that we didn't plan for or whatever, just a reevaluation of, okay, again, I think we've been in such a rut of always putting glyphosate in the tank with everything yeah. and it's maybe you don't need it. You know, well, maybe you get out there and there's, you know, there's literally everything else you have in the tank will provide you excellent control yep. and that glyphosate does you no good. So, I, I think you bring up another awesome point, Adam, that kind of, I, I was having a discussion with Matt Hill this morning talking about um, confidence to go out and sell something because of something being up, another product being up in the air, right? Mm -hmm. they, they know they had some, in this situation, they knew had, they had some residuals that they could propose as part of this cropping plan. They knew the best cropping plan would also include some in-season glufosinate or glyphosate, which in this scenario was uncertain on the amount they could, they could get there. So what we were talking about is you cannot let that stop you from implementing the parts that are going to benefit you regardless, right? Yeah. Uh, to your point, you got to be adaptable in-season. So. My question a lot of times, and I think this was the question that Matt posed to the folks he was working with, let's say they got all the liberty they wanted in this situation. Are they still going to be better off, or are they going to be worse off with a robust residual program, regardless of how much liberty they could get? And the, question, and the answer was, well, in this situation, they would still be better off, because it's still going to take pressure mm -hmm. off that post-emerge program it's going to probably be more cost effective because in the past the residuals were the higher cost product, right? And our non-selectives yeah. were the cheaper, yeah. the cheaper portion of it. That's not and, the case this year, is it, Doug? No. And to kind of you know back up with what you're saying there, you know, how do you measure the loss of monetarily the loss of a mode of action or a side of action? Yeah. You know, by putting including that residual product in there. You know, right. Stewardship, they're going to be better off from a exactly. stewardship standpoint, too. I mean, there's a lot of ways in this situation that regardless of what supply panned out later in the season, they are going to be better off in so many ways, spreading their workload out, doing a lot of things by putting that residual on. So why do we not go out there and, and, and help guys do that things because we're waiting for one piece of the program mm -hmm. to to yeah. start doing it. it it'd be like waiting for your shingles to start put, pouring a foundation on a house right yeah. Yeah. Why, why do you have to wait for your shingles to show up right. to start pouring a foundation for your house it, yeah. you don't need it or the paint colors to come in because that's about right. the last thing you do <laughs> right yeah. right right no that's right and and it, it drives me crazy 
um, when guys talk, start talking about changing their entire management system or doing something completely different because we don't have glyphosate. It's like, listen, there are a few instances where we know we're going to use it, right? I mean, I've got a whole bunch of cover crop on the ground right now. I'm going to probably use glyphosate. But if I didn't have that... He had to find a way to get cover crops. I did. I did. Because like, <laughs> this is... <laughs> I did. I'm done, I'm done for the day. Um, <laughs> because this... Well, the, I think because this is one of the things I've heard uh, people say on radio shows and stuff that drives me up the wall. Well, I'm not going to plant cover crops because I don't think I can get glyphosate. Right. But, what are like what are you doing and why are you doing it like that is like that is the worst answer i've ever heard for as an excuse for not like if that is in your management sequence that is what needs to be done do it and we can manage through it don't uh, like that's that's an excuse that's my seven-year-old saying that he can't clean his room because his door's closed Mm -hmm. you know like it's just it's that's an excuse and and not a reason but there are there are times that we're still definitely going to need it and so just knowing those ahead of time well and and not to mention what could they it and these are conversations like we we've been talking about supply issues for how long now? I mean, back oh, before sure. we even started planting cover crops, That's right? Yeah. And that, that that cover crops yeah. or fall residuals, depending on what you're, those are both weed control options. I mean, talking about maximum options, those are some of those things. And how you terminate them? What are the different options? That's right. We we get so hung up in the steps of plan implementation. There's no plan without a goal. You have to have a goal. And if you know what that goal is, or goals, what those goals are, you you can think of several different options in many cases to make it happen. Yep. Yep. No, that's... That's a good point. Yeah, uh, just again taking thinking the whole system system wide and and just making sure we're we're kind of checking all those all those boxes because we've leaned on these post emergent products so much in the last few years, you know, because they're cheap and they still tend to yeah I mean yeah there's resistance out there but they tend to work right so again kind of hitting the reset on that and saying okay they're not cheap anymore, yeah. and it's just like the nitrogen thing. I mean not to get way off track, but. The reality is, if you want to make folks efficient with nitrogen, charge fourteen hundred dollars a ton for anhydrous. That that may be harsh, but it's true, right? It, economics it drive economics drive these conversations, right? Um, you want to not clear the Brazilian rainforest to plant soybeans. Well, soybeans can't be fourteen dollars a bushel, right? Because it's still economics that are going to drive those decisions, right? So. But all right, sorry, no, no more tangents. Or I'll, I'll try to hold myself back. <laughs> um, so we've talked about some of the. Um, is there anything that comes to mind specific for for you guys when you're looking at, um, say, that a place where you've always used glyphosate? Again, the glyphosate Roundup or glufosinate Liberty are kind of the two that that jump off the page at least at as everybody is talking about shortages in those realms. As far as substitutions or just kind of thoughts on uh, on when we use glyphosate, typically, um, again, there are times that it just makes sense. It is the best cover crop termination a lot of times. But um, where, like, where in a rotation where are we using it, and kind of what substitutions do you guys see that kind of jump off the pages? Hey, this in a lot of cases this may work or this may be more cost effective. Well, I was just kind of thinking that not to kind of piggyback on your cover crop. Yeah, go um, ahead. But, you know, if we're thinking about fall burn down applications, that might be an opportunity where we can plant a soil <coughs> rye cover crop. We can 
save a, some applications, some chemical applications in the fall by having that residue, that, that biomass there for soil erosion purposes for weed suppression as well. Mm -hmm. And get you into the spring where you're making a still a labeled application of glyphosate to terminate that cover crop, but maybe it's a rate a little bit lower than what you maybe you would have traditionally used on a burn down application. So, yep. you know, we, we can successfully terminate cereal rye with 22 to 28 fluid ounces of Power Max 3. But what does it take to control a six or eight inch horseweed at that time, if it's glyphosate sensitive, which it probably isn't at that time, or, or, or some or, of those other problematic weeds, you're probably yeah. gonna be using a higher rate of yeah. glyphosate to manage those. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we, I think one of the one places, and, and Doug gave a good example, one of the biggest things I can say, we, we've talked about residuals, adjust your timing if it's feasible. Adjust your timing. We like to kill weeds as farmers. I mean, I don't know if we're... Satisfying. Yeah, if we're sadistic or what, we're just like, <laughs> we're going to kill those suckers because they've been killing my yield all these yields, yep. years, and I want to see... I, I don't know, we're trophy hunters. I mean, there's... Yep. Revenge spraying. Yeah. See, I'm more of a crappie fisherman. I, I love to fill the freezer, right? And I'm, yep. I'm not the big horn hunter that a lot of uh, folks are. And I think deer hunters in Missouri, they're trophy hunters a lot of times, and they want to kill giant weeds. Well... I think one of the best places we could we could look at is getting our acid anilines on earlier. You talk about grass control with Roundup. If we could just not wait for the grass to come up when we're talking about summer annual grasses, that's right. You know, foxtails and crab grasses and things like that. Mm -hmm. Get that residual on earlier. Right. A lot of the times we're waiting for a corn stand to emerge before we put on our our pre. Right. Yep. And we're trying to knock everything down. If you got good planting conditions, you're confident in your stand emerging, follow that planter sooner. Yep. You know, stay clean. Start clean, stay clean. It's, it's something we've talked about for years. That will take more pressure off of rescue treatments than, than I can imagine. Right. Same thing on beans. Follow that planter. Yep. Follow that planter with your first residual. And I think, too, just setting that expectation of, this is a good example, I think, of of 2021 where we had a significant amount of rainfall you know following a lot of plantings and and folks I've heard conversations wow I didn't I didn't expect that that limited control that I've got on my soil residual well you had eight inches of rain yeah and so I mean you have to be realistic with that and right. just kind of keep keep those situations in mind or if you're in more of a drier period where you're getting a little bit extended residual control because you're not having that rainfall push it down. You probably got a little bit less weed weeds that are emerging at that time too, just based on soil moisture. Yeah. Well, and we we talk about those residual failures a lot. Failure is a relative term in that sense. Is it mm -hmm. when we have that massive rainfall event, or we have lack of rainfall to get it activated? I challenge you to find a time, even in those situations, where the residual didn't keep you cleaner right. sure. than, than without it. And Absolutely. again, and are you better you off? Anything. Are you better off doing it or not doing it? Right. right. Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, especially this time of year, like we've talked about it, but glufosin and glyphosate are not the cheap options now. And so, right. utilizing these residuals at this time is more cost effective than waiting to try to get yeah. your hands on glyphosate or glufosinate and then re rescue yourself. I mean, and, it's just... And oh, by the way, the part that we 
somehow forget to talk about when using residuals, the more weed-free days you have, the more yield you will have. That's right. Every time. Yep. Yep. Every time. It, it pans out. There's study after study mm-hmm. after it. The, the more weed-free days you have, the more yield you will have. Yep. Resi- we talk about, uh, I, I remember they used to talk about Roundup yield lag and things like that. Mm-hmm. How much of it was the genetics, Doug, or how much of yeah. it was management change to we let weeds yeah. Gotta get all the way up through the canopy yeah. of the soybeans before you could spray them. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. <laughs> and we've seen some really, and I remember guys saying, oh, soybean yields have leveled off. You know, these new genetics aren't holding up. I heard that all the time. I don't know. We, we're seeing some pretty nice upticks in soybean yields, and I think a lot of it is because how we've had to go back to managing weeds. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is genetics, don't get me wrong, and better practices around fertility and fungicides and things like that, but you can't tell me some of it is just not that we have to manage it more. And the, the more you keep it clean, the more you're going to push yields. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Well, and thirteen or fourteen dollars will drive you to manage it a little better too. Correct. As I was yeah. just kind of thinking in that conversation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and and your fertilizer. I mean, fertilizer isn't cheap. It makes fertilizer more efficient. I mean, yep. none of these things. Sometimes we think seed, fertilizer, chemical all exist in their separate bubble. They're all part of a system. Yes. They all play off of each other. Absolutely. You you incre- you increase your fertilizer efficiency. You increase the rate of return on your seed yep. investment on your land investment, your equipment investment. Yeah. All that stuff goes up when the more days you keep that field clean. Sure. It's just, yeah, being intentional but thoughtful about what you're doing every time you're out there. I mean, that's how I look at it. I mean, that's honestly, that's why I'm a no Like, people make fun of me for being a no-till guy, which is fine, but that's why I do it because the other time when I'm out there in the middle of the field with a tractor and a tillage implement, the heck am I doing? I could be home uh, building Legos with my ten-year-old. You know, I mean, in all it's yeah, that's right. In all reality, I mean, it's being thoughtful and intentional about why are you out here and what are you doing? What are so, you trying to accomplish? So there again, you're talking about goals. That, yeah. That's a goal. Yeah. Goal, family time is a goal. You know, yeah. more efficient with your time out in the field. And there are there are ways that resi- residual. I'm focusing a lot on residuals, and I know there's other alternatives for posts because it's something you have to manage. I'm not yep. trying to paint a picture that residuals are bulletproof. Right. But, but they can reduce the amount of time you have to spend yes. fighting weeds. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. And so uh, kind of on that same <clears throat> thought process, what about glufosinate? Is there anything? So thinking now that um, I know a lot of our soybean genetics have multiple herbicide tolerances, um, yeah, how do we kind of manage around some glufosinate, you know, price increases where it, it doesn't seem as effective um, or or as realistic as from a price perspective, or if we just can't get it? I guess my thoughts with with Liberty is really using that product on a case by case basis. You know, it's you know sometimes we we think about things and it's like oh I've only got grass pressure here and in some cases you know you, you have those areas those fields that have significant grass pressure you have those that are more maybe more your broadleaf you've got a big water hemp problem yep so if I'm thinking about water hemp in specific you know I'm thinking that's where I need my liberty applications and I need to be tank mixing that with an approved synthetic auxin product as well and making timely applications on it that two to three inch height 
is where we need to be with that, to steward that chemistry. Because we've seen failures in, in the South and other areas with Liberty already on Palmer and, yep. and other plants. So that's, that's something I think we really need to be aware of and, and steward. Yeah. And just making sure, I guess, it's going to do the job that you want it to do. If you're going to pay that price for yeah. putting it in the tank. Make sure you're putting the appropriate yeah. adjuvant systems in there. Appropriate, you know, with Liberty weather and all that kind of, I mean, just making yeah. sure that it, like, is actually going to do what you're trying to, what you're paying for it to do, you know, before we always dumped it in there and we're like, ah, that Liberty didn't work, you know, or whatever, you know, because I sprayed it on six-inch water <laughs> or whatever. Well, I think Doug said something really good, Put put that oxen in there uh, yeah and maybe the oxen can do the job without the liberty in, in a few cases whether it's 24d or dicam but as long as we're still on label and yeah and, and sensitive crops and all all that aren't the issue because right. um, you mentioned we're stacking a lot of that stuff the other thing we talked about pre's at planning or before planning it's also yeah. make if you're going to go with liberty try to make that your only passive liberty Right. I mean, put that overlapping residual in season because that yeah, goes yeah. back to our yield conversation and everything else. Um, make it your only passive liberty if you can. Yeah. And the, one of the best ways to do that is getting that residual yeah. season in there. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was going to say. We didn't touch on it, but we talked about, you know, utilizing residuals, trying to be out there before we see the weeds pop up. And that's, we need to be intentional on that when we're thinking about soybeans is, yeah. is I feel like we're fairly good about putting out residuals on that first pass of soybeans. I mean, we've got yeah. pretty good about making sure we have residuals there. And a lot of times we're pretty good about being able to follow the planter and hit that. But we need to be intentional about understanding weather events and rain events are going to occur and it's going to affect that residual time frame. So we need to be more intentional of instead of saying, hey, I want to wait till my weeds come up. Oh, now I'm going to go hit it with... 24D or Liberty, and I'm going to throw a residual in. We need to try to be more intentional and say our residuals generally are going to give us 21 to 28 yep. days. I planted here, I sprayed here. I'm coming up on 21 days. I need to be intentional to try to get there now, try to get it before those weeds start popping up. So then, maybe we don't have to use yep. glufosinate. We can control it with that second shot of, um, you know, well, and yeah. I, I and I remember when I was walking fields. Um, uh, Harrisonville and Adrian every week in the crop track program when I, when I was doing that and this is when resistance really started to move into the counties that I was at and it was the years prior it was okay here's the weeds are in season it was roundup right it was just once the weeds started coming up I didn't wait for them to get big but they're small weeds now we're killing them that first year when I was just like I'm not gonna I'm not waiting if there's weeds out there, I'm going to report them. But when I started making racks and they're like, you have no weeds on your scouting report. Why are you telling me to spray? It was a mind shift change yep. for a lot of folks. And uh, if you do that, if if you spray a clean field with a residual, you do not need Liberty. You do yep. not need Roundup that's, at that's all. Right. That's exactly right. And guess what? If you prepaid for some Liberty or Roundup and it's still sitting at the location or it's an unopened container... I bet they'll switch if they have a yeah. quantity of a residual and and, and let you have uh, yeah. and that liberty and Roundup can go somewhere else. And maybe it's increased in value and, and, you, and yeah. you've generated some type of profit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah no, just like I, if you'd have bought a tractor 18 months ago. <laughs> yeah. No, I think kind of you know what Jason talked about too is 
he was making those recommendations, but he also understood the logistics of the location. And the location likely cannot, on a whim, oh, tomorrow we're going to be over at the Jones family farm right. in spring. They need to plan out a week or two in advance. So if, if you've had that application, you're planning that out, you're making those plans with the location two weeks in advance because you know within four weeks then you're going to be on their books and and that field's going to be ready to treat and it's it's just creating that plan yep one of the best times to schedule that overlapping residual is the day you wrap up spraying your first residual right say 21 days from now ideally i mean what we know weather and lots of things will impact that but if you if if you can call in and say this is when we would like to do that yep that's right because if you wait till the last minute and you wait till you start seeing weeds, then, I mean, we live in Missouri. Mother Nature can be a disaster. You can get pushed out or, you know, you may get in line and, you know, just applicators are trying their hardest to get across the field. Well, shoot, weeds grow fast. And by the time you see something, it may be three or four days before you get there and you've already added eight, ten inches on that weed height. And it's going to be a lot more challenging for you to control with that, you know, with our post non-selected post um herbicide there whereas if we're like we like we've said if you're trying to get there early you have a lot better chance even if you schedule it when the weeds weren't up maybe the weeds at that point in time are one two three inches well that's a lot better labeled rate and you're going to have a lot better control accuracy from right yeah before we move on from glyphosate and or from roundup and liberty essentially um any other thoughts that did we miss covering anything on on kind of those two big um those are kind of the hot button topics i guess did we we miss anything on covering anything on there so we the one thing i would say there are such i don't want to gloss over the fact there are situations that you're going to have to go post right right. we don't live in a perfect world we can't control mother nature at all times Mm -hmm. so post-emergence rescue treatments are necessary try to make them what they're truly a rescue treatment possible if you do it, the biggest thing I can say is, and and there is no, when you get outside of, if you go from Roundup down to Liberty and then to the Oxens and then past that, you get more and more selective instead of non-selective, right? And, and you, you get, you really have to ID your weeds. I would say that's the biggest thing. I, if you are in a true post-emerge control, ID your weeds, work with your district and local agronomist. Um, Doug will answer his phone. You can even call Cameron if you're hard up. And, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, I forgot all my agronomy knowledge. I'm reminded by the agronomy team all the time. Yeah, he's in I, sales. I can try. He's in sales now, so he doesn't know anything. <laughs> yeah. But... Um, uh, Anyway, know your weeds, know your crop heights, know, know all the details um, so you can make that best track. Yep. I, yeah, I can't. That, that's an absolutely great point. And I always say that one of the coolest things about working here is that all the institutional knowledge that everybody running around this place, and I'm not just this place is in the office that we're sitting in, but every one of our locations has and um, those guys got into this field for a reason because they like to look at fields. So giving them an excuse to go do what they like and say, hey, I'm thinking this, can you drop by and take a look at it? 
at least even that, just get, get some different eyes on it and, and somebody else may see something different than what you do. Um, and the more information you can have when you're making a decision like that, especially pulling the trigger on what's a fairly costly application these days, uh, yeah, the better, the better decision you're going to make for your you know, overall goal of making money at the end of the year. So, um, moving on, uh, as far as, you know, I don't know that this is, you know, maybe this is a one year supply chain hiccup or price increase hiccup. Maybe, maybe it's not, we don't, we don't necessarily know that moving forward. Um, and Doug stole one of my, uh, management decisions for the, for the, some, somebody might want to look at as far as weed control in, in planting cover crops. But, um, now I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't even pay him for that early plug for that at all. I'll send uh, the bill later. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but what else can we look, be looking at from a cultural and mechanical? You know, a lot, some guys are you, you, folks use tillage to, to help control some of those weeds too. I mean, what um, what have you guys seen or are in a management sequence? Would you recommend as as kind of other things like that to look at? Other, you know, and we can reiterate things we've already talked about, whatever. But um, something that somebody may want to look at in the future as to kind of incorporating into their weed management system. You know, probably timing of that of that planting date is important. You know, if you've got a bunch of weeds that are more your early season emerging weeds, can I? And I'm not encouraging folks to delay their planting, you know, significantly or, you know, go to one spectrum. <coughs> but if you have a flush of weeds come up, let's remove them, let's control them, and maybe have to push our planting date back a few days. Yep. So, so kind of, that's kind of one management practice I would think about, especially for some of those early emerging ones. Yeah, that's a great point. I, that's something that is hard from a grower perspective, it's hard to do when you're standing there and the field's ready and you're ready and the seeds in the boxes, it's hard to do. But the reality is, especially on soybeans, you know, we lose a lot of chemistry when they come up that we can use. And, um, and really, you know, the big fad is early planted soybeans these days, but you know, last year I planted beans on the first week of May and I planted the rest of my beans the first week of June. And guess what? They're all basically the same at the end of the year. Um, and so it, whether, you know, if I, if I had weeds in that first of May planted field, uh, I should have removed those and then went in there later and planted and I probably would have had the same beans, you know, as well. So, yeah, I, I don't know that this is something new, but it, I mean, maybe this is just back to some of the basics, but you know, when we talk about, pa I've heard you guys talk about pasture weed management. I heard David Moore talk about it several times. He always said, what's, what's the best weed control in a pasture? A healthy, robust stand, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. And this kind of goes back to Doug's planting date, and it's not just planting date. Good fertility, um, good seed placement, you know, anything that's going to encourage rapid, yep. vigorous, healthy growth is going to be your best friend in, in weed control. So our whole goal is just to have chemical or tillage or those other practices work until mm -hmm. canopy. I yep. mean, now our friends in the Delta cotton, that's a little different story because yep. how you manage that crop and things mm -hmm. like that and its ability to produce canopy, but anything you can do to get yeah. that canopy. But yeah, row spacing, plant population, huh. those things all uh, fertility, play into, play, fertility, absolutely. Um, and getting that plant up, and because yeah, it's essentially it's your 
21 days, like all those dates that you guys were talking about, I mean, you're racing to crop canopy is what you're doing. And the earlier you canopy, the le- essentially, the I mean, there's no doubt the less weed pressure you will have. If you want to germinate a weed, put sunlight on bare soil um, and guaranteed, right? But, you know, you put yeah. sunlight on your soybean canopy and um, and you're all you're doing then is growing more pods. Yeah, and I think you brought up something, Adam, that I was going to say is this seed population, too, makes a big difference. Is we're trying to push canopy, and, you know, a lot of times, you know, when you've got 300-some dollar corn, guys are not necessarily pushing the population that they could yeah. push. Is a lot of times... Well, I say it's maybe even more critical on soybeans from some of the stuff well, you've done. Well, and correct, and, and, and soybeans as well. I mean, a lot of times yeah. we're not pushing, you know, we're not pushing the population We've been trying size. to cut rates a lot of times in the last few years. That's right. And That's our right. yield may be the same. And it, like again, yeah. back to the, you know, yield potential of 100,000 versus 150 may be the same, but our 150,000 yeah. stand may canopy two weeks sooner. Right. right. And there's some, there's obviously value in that. And, Absolutely. And, right. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of times population is touted as, as a yield improvement method, and I think there's some folly in that. We've, we've talked about things like, you know, the bushels per thousand concept mm-hmm. and, and yield. But for population and canopy control and and weed control, we've seen it a lot. Um, yeah. There is an impact on that. I'd say more on, on beans than corn. I mean, that, those corn leaves get pretty wide and stretch out, mm-hmm. and, you know, but... Yeah. Beans, it, it may, we've seen big differences with Doug yeah. and Cameron and, and Doc and I before that done a training camp. Yeah, the, the beans is just, especially, I mean, thinking about Doug, you know, talking about maybe delayed planting. You know, just if Mother Nature pushes back planting, sometimes it takes longer for beans to canopy the later you get them planted. Yep. And so by yeah, they having just don't have the height, they just don't have the height that takes longer. So by making sure your population, you're you're helping that canopy yep. closer. So I mean, it, yep. there's yep. a lot of factors, obviously. Yeah, don't just so, write down your population on your uh, on your planting sheet and say no matter what date I plant, that's going to be my population. Right. Um, let's be adaptable as we go. So but good stuff. All right, guys, what else did we miss before we wrap it up today? Anything? I don't covered it all, didn't we? Well, it was, no, it was good. It was very good discussion, I, and I, I like the bouncing ideas back and forth. Yeah. We, we, I think we came up with some with some great points, some great stuff that's going to help some folks. So. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's so much we missed. It, it's something that I've just seen and heard conversations out in the country that yep. I want to reiterate. Yep. We cannot wait to start developing solutions for our producers. That's and, right. and it, once we have product hit our sheds, all right. Use the information Jordan's given you. Use the information that um, the location managers, the district managers, everybody has out there on what our likely supply is. Make make those plans based on that information starting now because you always think about, are they going to be better off by waiting? Most likely not. There are parts that you have to start implementing now sure. and getting ducks in the row on. And the other thing, we're going to have to make some changes, whether that's reducing the number of passes with a non-selective or, or um, upping rates or changing products, whatever the case may be. Before you just start diving into all the components of the plant, ask lots of questions. Do your discovery with the grower because every grower's goals are going to be different. Find out what their goals, what their challenges are, 
And then when you find out those challenges, find out where the pain points by the changes come. Do your best to minimize those pain points or take them away. And then, again, show them or help demonstrate or help implement what it's going to be with that goal in mind. Keep the goal in mind, whether that's clean fields, easier application, managing employees, timeliness of application, whatever it is, keep those goals in mind. That's much more important than all the components of the plan, in that's my right. opinion. Yeah, and I would I would agree that asking questions is a big thing is because, you know, maybe maybe one of their pain points is they've used a product and it didn't work to the way that best it was, but maybe it's because they didn't have the right adjuvant or, you know, from that aspect. So just making sure you're asking questions so you can understand maybe they had an issue with something, but and, why did they have that issue? And, you know. And even, even if you don't know. That's right. Figure it. Go back and do your research. Work with the agronomy team. Uh, work with a manager who's been around chemicals for a long time or, or an applicator who's been around for a long time. Right. And you don't have to know all that stuff on the spot. You just got to use that institutional knowledge that Adam talked about to get there. And your resources. We've got a ton yeah. of resources here. You know, the agronomy guide is one of the resources that I use at least once or twice, maybe three times a week, depending on the year. Because there's I a figured you're going to say the day or the hour. You remember more of it than I do. I had to look yeah, at it all but, the time. But no, utilize those. Utilize those resources and and know where you can find <coughs> that information. I, we were talking That's about right. foliar nutritionals at our last agronomy training and and. Uh, one of, the, one of the guys was having difficulty finding it. And I said, that's on page 33. Well, how do I know that? Because I've looked at it so many times. And you know, I can't remember those specifics or those nuances about a product. But you know those page numbers on where you can find that information. That's right. And I guess just my, my last plug would be, you know, if you can provide peace of mind, how, how can I do that? Our long inventory list is an excellent resource that you can use and you can actually take that product and go put it in their shed and you're providing yeah. them some peace of mind of an effective residual That's product that we have in hand in-house yeah. that can help with that weed control issue and and, and provide a solution for them you, you, you couldn't have said it better Doug I mean in the end that's what we're trying to sell to these growers. That's what we should be providing for our, our customers that we serve is, is peace of mind right now. Great discussion today. I certainly appreciate your time for, for coming in and, and joining us. Um, definitely enjoyed the conversation. Hopefully everyone else enjoyed listening to it and we'll see you guys next time. Yeah, Thank yeah. you very much. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Made for Agriculture. Email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com.